Well, in August of 1992, Ronald Reagan gave a speech at his political party's national convention. He made a point that he was speaking that evening as a private citizen. That was significant when considering he had already served as a governor in eight years as our nation's 40th president, and his successor had already served one term as president by this point. Reagan had come to bid the nation farewell. He began with his unique humor by saying, Tonight is a very special night for me. Of course, at my age, every night is a special night. He went on to describe what had taken place in the U.S. over his eight-plus decades of life. Then he made this observation. He said, while I take inspiration from the past, like most Americans, I live for the future. While I take inspiration from the past, like most Americans, I live for the future. Now that doesn't seem atypical for a politician, does it? It sounds quite normal for a farewell speech to include a look back in order to consider what lies ahead. This morning, we consider a similar tactic in a farewell speech that was given thousands of years earlier. Would you please find in your copy of the Scriptures, Joshua chapter 24. If you're using the Pew Bible this morning, it's page 185. You're welcome to have that Pew Bible if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures for yourself. Joshua chapter 24. This is our 21st time turning to the book of Joshua during 2019. And today, we conclude our study in this book. We've stated from the beginning that the book of Joshua records the history, or at least a partial history, of our promise-keeping God. Over and over, we have seen throughout this book that Jehovah God has kept His Word. He has kept His promises to His children. Be reminded that as the book of Joshua begins, as we started our study at the beginning of the year, Israel had not yet entered into the promised land. So in these 24 chapters that cover many years, Joshua and the children of Israel have entered into the promised land. They have displaced the inhabitants of that land. They have distributed the land. They have given the allotments of the land to the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And they have settled into the land that had been promised to Abraham 500 years prior. These last few chapters are farewell speeches, uh, goodbye speeches, admonitions on how Israel should move forward now that they have settled into this land that God has graciously provided to them. The nation gathers to listen to their leader challenge them on their future. Last week when we gathered together, we, we asked ourselves some questions about Joshua's farewell speech. So the first farewell speech that he gives is in chapter 23, and that's to the leaders of Israel. And then in chapter 24 has this, this other speech that most of the nation, it seems, has come to hear. And we, said, we asked ourselves, well, well, what do you say to a nation when you're telling them goodbye, a nation that you've led for so many years? We talk about God's grace. What do you include in a farewell speech to people that... You have led for dozens of years. You exhort them about God's grace. How do you encourage them to live in the present 
You remind them of God's grace. How do you communicate your advice to them regarding the future for them? You tell them to remember God's grace. And so last week we said that remembering God's grace in the past changes how you live for God in the present and gives you hope in God for the future. But I would submit to us this morning that that still leaves one question unanswered. How are we to respond to all of this grace that God has lavished on us? How is the nation of Israel to respond to all of this grace? And how are we as God's children in 2019 to respond to the grace that has brought us safe thus far? The remainder of the chapter of chapter 24 teaches us how to respond to God's grace in our lives. We're going to read through the whole passage as we go this morning, but let me just point you to, to verse 15 and verse 31 to kind of help us set our understanding of the passage. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15 says, if, if it seem evil to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. At the end of the verse, Joshua gives this great uh, exclamation. He says, but as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And then jump forward to verse 31. We'll come back to both of these verses uh, as we go this morning. But look at verse 31. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that, that, that overlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Joshua challenges them to serve, to serve the Lord. And then we get the report that Israel did serve the Lord. She did well. The nation did well while Joshua lived. But why did that change after Joshua passes off the scene? Probably most of us are familiar with what happens in the book of Judges and how the nation eventually wandered from God. You see, responding to God's grace with personal commitment, as Joshua called for, responding to God's grace with personal commitment is always right, but never enough. Jesus is more than enough. The rest of the chapter gives us two responses to God's grace in our life. First, the response of commitments, and then the response of confidence. We'll begin by looking at responding to the grace of our promise-keeping God with commitments. Now, as we consider this, I want you to look back at the, the very beginning of, of the chapter, chapter, number, uh, ch chapter 24, verse number 2. Joshua, verse 2 says, Joshua said unto the Lord, Thus says the Lord of God of Israel. So in, in the King James, there's not uh, quotation marks to help you. Maybe you're reading out of a modern translation, and that will help you with quotation marks. There are double quotation marks and, uh, where, where God is speaking, and there's, uh, where Joshua is speaking, and there's singular quotation marks where God is speaking. So Joshua says, here's what God says. And then he quotes God. And he, we, we referred to that all of last week. God's grace. And now we come to chapter 24, verse 14. Joshua now speaking, not God speaking. Joshua says, Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served in the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your forefathers served 
that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell now. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The first response that we see is this response of commitment. And first of all, we see that this, this commitment was a sensible commitment. How does Joshua instruct Israel to respond to such lavish grace that they've just rehearsed? How does he do that? He says, therefore, serve the Lord. It's sensible. It's logical for you to make this step. It reminds us of what we see in the book of Romans, where there's chapter after chapter after of, chapter of doctrine, and then we get to chapter 12 and verse number 1, and we read, therefore, it's a reasonable service. Go serve the Lord. Joshua says, because of God's grace to you in the past, choose to serve the Lord. It's a sensible choice. Do you remember what we studied last week in the first part of the first 13 verses of the chapter about how God was gracious to, to choose Abraham, an idolater. God chose an idolater to be the patriarch of his children, of his nation, the nation of Israel. God was gracious in his choice of Abraham as he's been gracious to you in his choice of you. God was gracious to speak plainly to the people of Israel that it wasn't going to be an easy road, that it was going to be a, a difficult path, that it wouldn't be just a, a, bed of, of, a bed of ease for them. It would be a challenge for them. He was gracious. God was gracious to the nation of Israel, and he reviewed this in the first 13 verses to show his power to the nation of Israel, how he led them and he guided them and he protected them. He protected them against uh, the situation with Sion and Og and then also with Balaam and, and Balak. God was faithful to provide for all of their needs. Over and over and over again, God had lavished his grace upon his children. So it's only sensible. It makes good sense, Joshua concludes, for Israel to commit to this Jehovah God. He has been faithful to them. God has kept his promises to his, to his children. Christian, it's a perfectly logical step to be a slave to God. To serve the one that has changed your status from death to life. Why would you not serve him? It's a perfectly sensible commitment to give yourself to the one who has lavished all of this undeserved kindness upon you. Christian, burning out for Jesus makes sense. He was crucified for us. Now it won't make sense to the world but it makes sense to us as Christians committing our lives and our monies and our homes and our relationships and our energies and our schedules to the Lord makes good sense because of what he has done for us. But we see that this commitment is not just a sensible commitment. It's an, an exclusive commitment. Look again at verse number 14. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and you serve the Lord. Now, when you read that on the other side of the flood in, your, in the King James, it's not talking about uh, Noah's flood. You might be reading out of a modern translation that says the Euphrates River or the Great River. It's talking about, uh, uh, it's another reference to Abraham's uh, Days in the land of Ur. So Joshua's referring back to, to Abraham's day on the other side of the Euphrates. Here is another reminder of how Israel's original patriarch was an idolater, serving other gods before God made him his child. Joshua says, fear the Lord. 
He gets exclusive about it. Fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord sums up the attitude that is expected of the Old Testament believer. It's an awe. It's a reverence of the one true living God. You see, friends, grace doesn't free us up to go do and live how we want to to live, however we want. No, that's not how grace works. Rather, grace calls us to be strong and to be very courageous. Grace enables us to be strong and courageous. You fear the Lord. Do you stand in awe and reverence of God? But Joshua says, fear the Lord. But then he also says, serve him in sincerity and in truth, verse 14 says. We are to serve the Lord without hypocrisy. We are to serve the Lord with sincerity that we are all in, that we are to make sacrifices in order to serve the Lord. We're to serve the Lord in a way that the inside matches the outside. So what we speak with our mouth is a, is a reflection of what's going on in our heart. We're living out our commitment to the Lord. We're doing so with integrity and loyalty. It requires a change in our, in our thoughts and our behavior. It's a wholehearted service to the Lord. So Joshua says, fear the Lord. Joshua says, serve the Lord. Joshua says, put away false gods. I wonder if you've considered the false gods that call for your worship in this life. What controls you? Where does your mind go quickly? Is it money? Is it sensuality? Is it technology? Or fashion? Or physical fitness? Or possessions? Relationship status? What are you giving focus to more than you're giving focus to Jehovah God. Joshua tells Israel, fear the Lord, serve the Lord, put away false gods. Then he calls Israel to make a choice and he declares his own proclamation. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have seen individuals all through the book of Joshua making choices in their service or lack thereof to Jehovah God. Rahab made a choice to risk her life and to serve the Lord. Achan made a choice to take of the accursed thing. He made a choice not to serve the Lord. Joshua lays before the children of Israel four options. He says, you can serve the gods of of a forefather in Ur. You can serve the gods that they served in Egypt. You can serve the gods of the Amorites or the people who surround you in this land. Or you can serve the one true living God, the triune God of the world. Don't miss the extreme of his suggestion. He's not putting out there, okay, go serve these other gods. He's rather making it absurd for them. He's making it so wild for them that it would make, his, make their choice obvious. Right? We do that sometimes to make a point. We put some absurd options out there to make, to make a point of which one is clearly the right choice. You get a toddler and you say, okay, uh, you know, three or four or five-year-old little child, and you say, okay, let's have some dessert. Would you, would you like to have this steamed broccoli? Would you like to have this asparagus? Or would you like to have this nice big bowl of chocolate ice cream? Right? It's clear. It's obvious. At least it's clear in my mind. It's obvious in my mind which direction, which one you should choose. On an eternally more important matter, Joshua says, are you going to serve the God of Abraham? The, 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 the false God that Abraham worshipped before he came to, to faith in, in a true Jehovah God? Are you going to serve the God of the Egyptians? 
Are you going to serve the God of the Amorites, the people that surround you now? Or are you going to serve the God who does not break his word to you? The promise-keeping Jehovah God. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Friend, choosing is not a one-and-done type thing. Choosing to serve the Lord is not just done once and then you go your way. Joshua says he will choose to serve the Lord. Not we chose to serve the Lord. It's as if, somebody put it this way, it's as if Joshua says, I have chosen to serve the Lord. I am choosing that same path for service now. And I will go on choosing to serve God until the very end. Shaver said this is the character of Joshua. He chose, he chose, he chose, and he kept right on choosing to serve the Lord. Christian, choose this day who you will serve. Choose tomorrow who you will serve. Choose Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, next Lord's Day, next week, next month, next year. Continual, continuing to choose who you will serve. We need some moms that face the temptation to respond to their children with great irritation who choose today and tomorrow and the next day to choose to serve the Lord and to respond with grace. We need some public school kids that will face the temptation to cower and they will stand up and they will say, I will choose to serve the Lord today and tomorrow and next week. We need some kids in our Christian schools that will shun the pharisaical and the fake mold who will stand up and say, today I will choose to serve the Lord. And tomorrow, and Lord willing, next week and next month and maybe next school year, I will choose the Lord. We need some singles that will follow the path of purity and integrity and satisfaction in God and say, today I will choose the Lord. We need some dads who will deny the poles of worldliness and materialism and sensuality. Dads who stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The commitment Israel gave to God on this day was sensible. The commitment they made was exclusive. Jehovah God alone. The commitment was an informed commitment. Again, we, we get a little bit historical here in verses 16 and following. The people answered and said, God forbid that we, they, so they replied to Joshua, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And here it comes. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage and which did great things in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. The people of Israel were informed as they make this commitment. They pledge their allegiance to Jehovah. They say, he brought us up. Eighteen times in this chapter, we read God, and when, when Joshua was quoting God, we Eighteen times we read, I did this for you. And the children of Israel reflect back and say, look what he has done. He has brought us up. He has preserved us. He drove out the enemies. He drove out the inhabitants of the land. Israel responds, our commitment is to him. They were informed on how they lived and, and whom they would serve. Friends, our commitment to the Lord can be based on our history with the Lord. Think, for, think of Harvest Bible Church. 
For 18 years, God has thrown all kinds of grace towards us, all over us, all around us. He's met our health needs. He's provided gospel partners and done fabulous work through our gospel partners. He's brought us through staffing transitions at Harvest, locations of worship where we come together and worship. He's given us protection and growth and grace after grace after grace. My friends, we can commit to the Lord because we are informed of His kindness to us in our past. This commitment was not only sensible, exclusive, and informed, but it was also sobering for the children of Israel. Look at verse number 19. So they commit to serving the Lord, and Joshua said unto them, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then He will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, He hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. In a stunning move by this military leader Joshua, after Israel commits to serving the Lord, Joshua says, Nope, you can't do it. You're not going to do it. Joshua was telling them that it's a, it's a bigger commitment than they realize, in other words. He was trying to sober them up with the seriousness of this commitment. He reminded them that God is a jealous God. Joshua was, in a sense, slapping them in the face with a challenge of the task that was in front of them. He was making plain to them the seriousness of this commitment. So he gives them a stern warning about forsaking God and the results of forsaking God, that God would not forgive their sins. Now, Verse 20 makes it clear that it's not an absolute or timeless statement that Joshua was making, but that God's forgiveness depended on whether or not his children forsook him in favor of other gods. Joshua was shunning easy believism. Joshua was saying you can't just say, okay, I'll commit to God and then go live however you want and expect God to continue, for, expect you to be, continue to be in a good relationship with God. Somebody said it this way. One of the healthiest things a Christian can do is to doubt and question his easy expressions of commitment. One of the easiest thing, one of the healthiest things a Christian can do is to doubt and question his easy expressions of commitment. God will not forget. God's, God is a jealous God. Revering the holiness of God is a must. In fact, your status as a child of God brings an obligation for your obedience to God. There are all kinds of people in Lancaster County who commit, who claim the name of Jesus. But how easy is their commitment? Are they really following God? The people respond with a, another clear affirmation of loyalty to Jehovah God. And then we come to verses 22 through 28, and we see a demonstrated commitment. Let me read beginning at verse number 22, and Joshua said unto the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you and incline your hearts unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God will we serve and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and he set it up there under an oak 
that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance. In verse 24, we see a third voicing of the people's commitment to Jehovah. We saw it in verse 18, verse 21, and now verse 24. A formal covenant is established. A stone is a silent witness for the words the Lord spoke to Israel, the covenants. The people were binding themselves to this covenant. It reminds me of our own covenant that we have at Harvest Bible Church. It begins this way. Having been led by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, in the presence of God and this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. When we join in membership at Harvest Bible Church, we commit ourselves to this covenant that we will, we, we promise that we will help one another on in our love of God, in our pursuits of God. The covenants that Israel made that day was a form of accountability to God and to one another. Much like our covenants is a form of accountability before God in, as He is in our presence when we say this covenants and with one another. Christian, you may not like it, you may not admit it, you may not invite it, but, one of the, but that doesn't change the fact of the matter that you and I all need accountability. Invite brothers and sisters into your life. The most natural place for that to happen is within the local church. The most natural place for, that, for you to be encouraged in your walk with the Lord and for, for people to see how you're doing spiritually is in the local church. You see people in your connection group or friends that you have within the congregation can, can know how you're doing spiritually and you can invite them to speak truth into your life and so that if you were to go astray, they can say, hey, look, friend, look what you're doing. You're making a poor choice. You've committed to serve the Lord. You've committed to follow after, to follow after Jehovah God. Come back to Him. It's one of God's kindnesses to us. Accountability is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. Accountability is God's plan for your spiritual health. We established connection groups to help facilitate a fellowship that fosters an accountability for each of us to continue to love God. Israel's commitment to Jehovah God was sensible. It was exclusive. They were going to worship Him alone. It was based on, it was informed, it was based on their history with God. It was sobering because they knew they had to remain faithful. And it was demonstrated through this covenant. Responding to God's grace in your life with a commitment to God is absolutely the right thing for you to do. Jesus invited his disciples to follow him. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Romans, again, Romans chapter 12, describes it as our reasonable service. Making a commitment to Christ is biblical. All of this is right. All of this is good. It's most certainly an appropriate response to commit to Jehovah God. But it wasn't enough. And it's not enough for you and for me. 
Verse 31, again, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Now we have the, the benefit of hindsight, don't we? We know about the cycle of sin and judgments and rescue in the book of Judges. We know about the desire for uh, uh, inconsistent leadership of, of kings. And we know about Israel eventually being carried away into captivity. You see, responding to God's grace with personal commitment is always right, but never enough. Jesus is always enough. And so that takes us to the final verses of this book and a second response to God's grace. Responding to the grace of our promise-keeping God with confidence. Maybe you're asking, well, if our commitment falls short, how can we be confident? How can we respond to God's grace with confidence about living for Him if our good deeds are like filthy rags, if our commitment wanes depending on what side of the bed we wake up on, if, frankly, on Sundays we just don't feel like making godly choices? How can we have confidence that our faith will persevere to the end? Because, right, it's all good and well to be charged up. Was for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, bless God. But you know, on Sundays, John Walters doesn't choose to serve the Lord. I'm a sinner. I respond with sinful irritation and frustration to my wife and my kids. I have ungodly thoughts. I make choices that serve self instead of serve the Lord. The bottom line is that my life proves, my life gives evidence that my commitment to the Lord isn't enough. So how in the world can we be confident about persevering in our faith? How in the world can we be confident that we won't go the way of Israel and seek after false gods? How in the world can we be confident about having an anchored faith if our commitment is not enough? At this point, the historical book closes, we are informed about three old guys and their funerals. Joshua, Joseph, and Eliezer. Would you please look at verse number 29? And it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Sarah, which is in Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders of that, that overlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem in a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. And it became an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died. And they buried him on a hill that pertained to Phinehas, his son, which was given him in Mount Ephraim. Maybe you're asking, what does this have to do with having confidence, with persevering in my faith if my commitment is not enough. The closing of Joshua teaches us that we can respond with confidence to God's grace in a couple of ways. First, we can respond with confidence as witnesses of God's faithfulness. 
the theme of the book all over again. God kept his promises. These three burials, Joshua, Joseph, and Eliezer, testify to God's faithfulness. These burials are recorded to give us yet another reminder, a final reminder, that God has fulfilled his promise in granting Israel the land of Canaan, the promise that he had made hundreds of years earlier. God did it just as he promised. We can have confidence in God. We can walk forward in confidence that we will persevere into the end because we have been witnesses of God's faithfulness. Joshua is buried. Here, Joshua is finally referred to as the servants of the Lord, the title that had been reserved for Moses prior to this time. God had worked through his servant, Joshua. God had been faithful to work through Joshua. My friends, please continue to pray for leadership within Harvest Bible Church. Pray for your current elders and deacons and pray that God will continue to to raise up individuals to serve in those positions. So as we come into this process each fall, don't simply take it as routine or tradition or something that we have to do constitutionally. Take it as God's plan for our church and pray about faithful men to serve as elder and deacon. Joshua was a testimony of God's faithfulness to the children of Israel. Joseph is brought up Joseph was the one who had looked ahead with faith. And he instructed his family to bury him in the land promised to his great-grandfather Abraham. And God brought it to pass. And then Eliezer. Eliezer was a high priest. He was the one who was present with, when, and he assisted with the distribution of the allotments to the tribes. The very allotments that God had promised even before some of these people were alive. So through the burial of these three men, Israel was pointed to the faithfulness of God. They had witnessed God's faithfulness. Golden Age Harvesters, a word of exhortation to you this morning. We need you to be examples for us. Live out, practice your commitment to God. Live out your faith in Him to keep His promises. Speak of His faithfulness to you over the years 50 years ago, 20 years ago, one week ago, we want to witness God's faithfulness in you so that we may be confident of his continuing work in us in days ahead, even if we outlive you. I visited with Norm Linhart yesterday afternoon. He spoke about God's grace in his life. He spoke of, he told me about the the night that that he was with his wife or I'm not sure if they were married at that point, but he was with Mary the night that she was born again in a suburb of Chicago. All of God's grace. He talked about their 63 years of marriage. He talked about how 63 years of marriage to the same person doesn't happen apart from God's grace. Friend, we can respond with confidence because we ourselves have been witnesses to the faithfulness of God. So respond with commitment to the Lord, yes. Respond with confidence. First, as you see His his faithfulness. And secondly, you can respond with confidence, not only as we see God's faithfulness, but as we trust God's Son. Joshua. Nothing negative in the Bible is explicitly spoken of the servant of the Lord, Joshua. But Joshua died. He couldn't continue serving as the spiritual leader of Israel forever. 
His life on this earth, his journey was complete. That means we need someone who is always alive in order to help us be faithful, to keep us faithful. We need someone who faced death and then burst forth from the tomb and trampled all over death. We need someone who ever lives to make intercession for us before the throne of God. We need someone who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. My friends, we need the final Joshua. We need Jesus. Because even though we have responded to God's grace with commitment to Him, our commitment is not enough. But Jesus is always more than enough. Joseph, he had been hated. He had been separated from family. He had been sold. He had been enslaved. He had been accused. He had been imprisoned. Joseph was a man of sorrows. Joseph was a man who was acquainted with grief. Joseph had been mistreated. Joseph had suffered in ways that probably are beyond our full understanding. But Joseph couldn't transfer the fruit of his suffering to anyone else. You and I cannot be the beneficiaries of Joseph's sufferings. We will not have eternal blessings because of Joseph's sufferings. He wasn't suffering as our substitute. That means we need someone who could suffer in our place. We need someone else who was acquainted with grief. We need another man of sorrows. We need someone who is able to carry all of our burdens. We need someone who could become sin for us even though he knew no sin in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We need Jesus. Even though we have responded to God's grace with commitment to the Lord and said that we will serve the Lord, our commitment is not enough. But Jesus is always more than enough. Eliezer served faithfully as a high priest. He represented the people of Israel to Jehovah God. He interceded for Israel before God. He offered sacrifices that would, that would cover the sins of the people. But before he could do any of that work as a, as a priest, he had to deal with his own sin. He had to deal with his own shortcomings. Eliezer was a sinner. That means Israel needed, and we need someone who is not a sinner in order to make full and final atonement for our sin. We need someone who was tempted in all points like as we are, yet he never sinned. We need someone who is the spotless Lamb of God who can fully take away the sins of the world. My friends, we need Jesus. You see, even though we have responded to God's grace with commitment and said that we will serve the Lord, our commitment is not enough. But Jesus is always more than enough. These burials tell us that we need someone who lives forever. We need someone who suffered in our place as our substitute. We need someone who was sinless and poured out his holy blood as an offering to God for us. Brothers and sisters, these three burials tell us that we need Jesus. And precisely because God has shown us grace, because God has heaped undeserved kindness after kindness upon us over and over, it's right, it's good, it's appropriate, it's even expected by God that we be committed to Him, that we say we will serve the Lord. However, our personal commitment is not enough, but Jesus is more than enough. 
What will anchor? What will anchor us in our fights for faith? It is not our work, but Christ's work in our behalf, one pastor said. What will anchor us in our fight for faith is not our work, but Christ's work in our behalf. A former president can call a nation to consider the future with hope. But true hope, lasting hope, eternal hope, is not found in the ideals and successes of a nation. It's found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, God's only Son. Jesus brought a new covenant. We have a promise-keeping God who has, through His Son, made possible our redemption and made it possible that we can be strong and very courageous. Our faith is anchored by Christ's work on our behalf. So, because of God's work that we ourselves have witnessed, because of God's Son that we have trusted, we can be strong, we can be very courageous, and we will inherit the rest that has been promised to us. Harvest Bible Church, as we move forward into year number 19, our call from the book of Joshua is to, or the end of this book, is to renew our commitment to God, to promote the glory of God, to prioritize our worship of God together, to pursue the Great Commission, to preach the full counsel of God's Word, and to be involved with prescribing genuine fellowship with one another. But ultimately, we must rest in King Jesus to bring us to our final home. Harvest Bible Church, we serve a promise-keeping God that we can fully trust to bring us to our eternal rest that is only made possible through His Son. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Let's pray.